Welcome to this edition of Fixed Interest, where we will be discussing the U.S. rating outlook in the context of the incoming administration of President-elect Joe Biden. My name is Shelley Shetty, and I'm a managing director in the America's Sovereign Team. I'm happy to be joined by Charles Civil, the co-head for America's Sovereign Ratings and the primary analyst for the U.S. Just by background, we placed the AAA sovereign rating of the U.S. on negative outlook in July 2020, reflecting the ongoing deterioration in the U.S. public finances and the absence of a credible fiscal consolidation plan. Since our last review, the U.S. has obviously gone to the polls and President-elect Biden of the Democratic Party will be taking office shortly on January 20th. The Democrats have a majority in the House, and following the Georgia runoff elections, the Senate will be evenly split between the Republican and Democrats. So, Charles, just to kick off and set the stage for the discussion, what were the main reasons for putting the U.S. rating on negative outlook in July? And more importantly, have economic and fiscal developments broadly evolved as anticipated in our last review? So, Shelley, the main reason that we downgraded the US in July was the deterioration in the public finances. Effectively, we saw a big jump in the deficit in 2020. The federal deficit exceeded 15% of GDP in the fiscal year ending in September 2020. And the debt crossed the milestone of 100% of GDP. That's the federal debt. In our view, the additional costs imposed by the pandemic accelerated a pre-existing trend. So we went into the coronavirus crisis with unemployment below 4%, but a general government deficit of 6% of GDP in 2019, i.e. The, you know, the economy was doing very well, but the stance of fiscal policy was quite loose. So there was a, a sort of structural fiscal imbalance there. And in terms of forecasts relative to the time of the negative outlook, the economic rebound proved to be slightly stronger than we'd expected. I think on the fiscal front, since we're continuing to see perhaps more stimulus than we expected in 2021, to that extent that the fiscal side could be slightly weaker. Now, Charles, moving to the U.S. elections, we had warned about governance risk ahead of the election. So can you expand a bit on this? Well, our concern was that a disputed election could increase polarisation. And we did indeed see a disputed presidential congressional election, but events obviously took a slightly different form from what we'd anticipated. So we saw an election that was disputed without being particularly close. And we think that speaks to polarisation, which in turn sort of reduces the likelihood of Democrats and Republicans collaborating and dealing with the challenges that the US faces, including the pandemic, supporting the economy and putting the public finances on a more sustainable footing. So governance scores are 20% of our sovereign rating model output, so they're the most important single component. And looking at governance in comparative terms, the US is already scoring below the AAA median. And that's largely because of a lower score for political stability. So I'd say that to an extent, weaker governance is already being captured in the rating. So as you look ahead, what will be the incoming Biden administration's top policy priorities and how will these impact the economy and the broader state of public finances? So the original Biden plan was to increase spending financed in part by higher taxes on corporations and the wealthy. So elements of that that plan are preserved, I think, but in view of the pandemic, which continues, I think that there will clearly be a switch in emphasis. So I think the Biden administration's first priority is going to be an overhaul in the in the strategy for rolling out vaccines and more money for combating the pandemic and its impact. 
And I think, you know, that could be beneficial for the economy. It, it would improve confidence. But after that, it's more relief for the economy. Biden made uh, an important policy announcement on the economy about a week before the inauguration, and he promised a package of $1.9 trillion, and that to be balanced between help for families, so there would be a continuation of the, the checks, an extension of, of checks, extension of unemployment benefit, insurance, and some other money dedicated to the education system and, and so on. So the, the impact of the last package was to really boost personal incomes and, and prevent more firm closures. And in terms of their impact on GDP, they weren't you know, as large as their price tag suggests because some of the transfers to household were saved. And in terms of the other impacts, well, GDP has clearly recovered and we'd expect it to get back to 2019 levels by early 2022. In terms of other policy priorities, Biden is keen on Buy American, and we'd expect him to continue to be fairly tough in terms of China trade policy, but I think it will be with a more multilateral approach, so friendlier to allies, but continuing to be quite tough on China. Now, Charles, let's discuss about some of the longer-term issues. How do you see the outlook for long-term fiscal reforms under the Biden administration, given the structural pressures for public finances stemming from increased spending related to entitlements, both health and social security? Do you think that the congressional makeup will now be more conducive for long-term structural reforms? The short answer is I don't think fiscal consolidation will be a priority for the Biden administration. Priority is going to be further stimulus. So there will be tax rises for the wealthy and corporations, those are on the agenda, but an analysis of the original Biden plan showed they wouldn't raise enough revenue to pay for the spending commitments. Now, in terms of reforms, major reforms have tended to be bipartisan over the years. Democrats now have control of the Senate agenda, and they have a majority when Vice President Harris's vote is counted. But I think we've identified in the past that you know, health and social security were the main medium-term drivers. I think once the pandemic is over, that continues to be the case, but the pandemic potentially creates new recurring costs. I think Congress will have to act, particularly on Social Security, by the end of the decade because trust funds will start to run out. But I, I don't expect rapid progress on fixing those issues. Now moving to public debt, what is the outlook for public debt stabilization and how could that be achieved? How are you looking at the situation in the context of low interest rates and the tremendous fiscal financing flexibility of the US? Well, at the time of the last review, we estimated that the public debt could actually stabilize with a primary deficit of between 3 and 4% of GDP. Uh, that would be a, a bigger primary deficit than we'd previously seen, but actually consistent with what we had in, in 2019. Now, that result really assumes that interest rates remain very low and that growth averages 2%. So in economist parlance, um, R minus G, sort of real interest rate minus the growth rate, we think is pretty much guaranteed to be negative, which is helpful for debt dynamics. After a federal deficit of over 15% in the fiscal year ending September 2020, you know, we have expected the deficit of well over 10% of GDP in 2021. We assumed Congress would pass more spending in 2020, and that eventually happened just before the end of the year. I think the question now is, given the new spending commitments, we may end up revising up our expectation for the deficit as elements of the, the package at least should find approval in, in Congress. 
So the US does have great financing flexibility. 10-year yields are back above 1% and they moved sharply higher responding to the prospects of further stimulus. But the US still does have financing flexibility and you know we'd expect the Fed to intervene to counteract any very sharp steepening of the yield curve. Finally, before we end, what are the factors that could lead us to downgrade the sovereign rating of the U.S.? And also, on the other hand, what developments could lead us to stabilize the rating outlook? And overall, given the trends, how does the U.S. really compare to other AAA sovereigns? Well, the main triggers that could lead us to downgrade the rating really relate to the public finances, first of all. If we don't see a credible commitment to address medium-term public spending and debt challenges that would arrest the uh, upward trajectory in the general government debt-to-GDP ratio, then that could be a negative trigger. I think that we are unlikely to see those in the near term, but I think it will be a judgment on you know how the economy is recovering and whether the administration looks like it, it is moving towards measures that would achieve that. And I think on the macroeconomic policy side, we do place a lot of weight on the coherence and credibility of US policy making, the reserve currency status of the US dollar, the government's financing flexibility. So any developments that threaten those, I think, potentially uh, undermine the, the AAA rating. And on the positive side, you know, we'd we'll be looking at this fiscal adjustment scenario or, you know, a judgment that this had become more likely that was a sort of core part of our uh, expectation. Now, in terms of how the US compares with other AAAs, public indebtedness is simply much higher than the rest of the AAA peer group, which is now a group of 10. So federal debt in the hands of the public crossed 100% of GDP, and that's a milestone last seen in World War II. And general government debt is on track to exceed 120% of GDP. So that's the main, the main difference. But of course, the US does have other strengths. It's financing flexibility, it's great size. So I think those are, and it's historic track record of pulling out of recessions more, more quickly and dealing with the last financial crisis. It recovered more quickly than some of its peers. So I think its its flexibility will help it as well. Thanks a lot, Charles, for your insights. Thank you for listening in. And for more on the US, you can access our research on our website, fitchratings.com. Hope you will join us in the next Fixed Interest podcast. Thank you.